Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I have another amazing guest interview for you this week. And I have, I have just got to say that I mentioned in 2021 that I had some amazing guests ready for you in 2022, and I just feel like we are hitting the ground running. There's some amazing, amazing people in HR, in business that we are speaking with this year, and I'm just so excited to bring this next guest to your ears or your eyes and your ears, wherever you're listening or watching. So Christine Zorick, who is the guest for this week, has been named an industry disruptor, which you know I love because we love a little disruption over on this side of the fence. And she was named this industry disruptor in 2019 by Utah Magazine because she has disrupted and redefined how human capital works within the framework of modern business. Like, can we just take a moment to appreciate that? This is like when I think about like, you know, creating a mood board and a vision board for what I want to achieve in my life. That is it. I want to be known as a disruptor, a challenger of the status quo and and someone who really like focuses on humans. Right. Like that's an amazing thing. So, Christine, I know you'll be listening to this once it's published. Like congratulations to you and kudos to you. So Christine has 21 years of collective business strategy and human capital experience, and she has taken the helm of modern business by marrying human capital, business strategy, and financial strategy through the lens of human behavior. She is a thought leader offering big picture visions while designing comprehensive processes, and she synchronized business constructs to incorporate human intelligence as a proactive strategy for sustainability and perpetual impact. Those are some strong words. And I just, I just love that I got to connect with Christine on a couple occasions now, but really that she is going to be bringing you some really incredible insights in this episode. She's also an official member of the Forbes Human Resources Council as of 2021, which is amazing. In addition to her accomplishments in the business world, she is known for her female workforce development initiatives and her work as a dedicated member on numerous boards. Christine is the founder and CEO of White Label Advisors, which is a strategic direction firm that modernizes business constructs to incorporate human intelligence into early business development. So again, remember, she was named a disruptor. So you are going to hear in this episode so many things that just challenge the status quo and challenge what currently exists today. And you'll also hear a moment of reflection from me where I really learned something new and I hope that you also learned something new today. So without further ado, I'm going to let Christine speak for herself because she is amazing and I think you're going to love this episode. So we're going to jump right into it. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe at the end of this episode. Share this episode with someone that you think will enjoy it. And you know, that's it. We're going to get right into it. Enjoy. Well, Christine, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. I know my listeners are going to love this topic because emotional intelligence is everything I feel like these days because it's, you know, it's long gone are the days of calling them soft skills, for example. But before we jump into the good stuff, I'd love to um, check in with you, see how you are and, and see if there's anything you'd like to share with the guests about who you are. 
Tracy, thanks for the opportunity to be here. I'm delighted and excited, uh, really hoping that what we talk about today by way of emotional intelligence is very helpful for the audience and gives them some, some new perspective and insight. So uh, just to answer your questions, uh, doing very well. I'm uh, really excited for 2022 and to kick it off by being on your podcast. So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it's it's going to be a great year. I think we've learned a lot over the last couple of years by way of, you know, society and uh, especially within the, the business uh, fields. And uh, it'll be really exciting to apply kind of those lessons learned this year. I'm excited for this topic because I think you know, it's interesting. We always talk about EQ, especially in HR. I feel like because we're people, people, um, but there isn't always a whole lot of discussion around it. I think a lot of people just kind of assume that they know what emotional intelligence is um, and kind of run with it. So I feel like it could be a good place to start um, by kicking off this episode, just by defining emotional intelligence for those maybe who don't know or are not familiar with the term. And for those of you listening, EQ is synonymous with emotional intelligence. It's like saying IQ for your intellect, but instead we're saying EQ. So Christine, if you could give us uh, the lowdown on what, what it means to have EQ or what EQ means and how people typically embody having a strong or high EQ. The simplest and easiest way that I can describe EQ is the recognition of the importance to understand another. Through that understanding of another person, we really enhance our human connection through consciousness. And, but again, simply, you know, if we're seeking to understand another, that translates over to a high EQ. Uh, if we have, you know, no desire to understand another, mm -hmm. we, we really will uh, score very low on that. EQ ranking. It makes me think about how leaders especially take EQ and run with it because I actually think when I think about business at least, the things that make a leader a strong leader or a leader that people want to work for, for example, are those who probably embody a higher EQ because you know, they're compassionate or they're considerate, or maybe they're thinking about, you know, the impact of their actions and their communication. So what are some ways from your perspective that leaders can prioritize emotional intelligence, even if maybe it's not their strongest, you know, uh, characteristic as a leader, what are they, what can they do to prioritize EQ? Sure. Uh, that's a great question. And I, I love what you said that, you know, some leaders that might not be their strongest suit, but that doesn't mean it can't be learned. And the simple, you know, principle of the 10,000 hour rule does apply here. Um, and just, you know, by way of factors that really contribute to EQ, uh, uh, honing in those listening skills. Are, are you really giving time to your team? Or if you are a CEO or part of an executive team, are you really giving time to understand your division or your company? Um, and then that empathetic quotient, because um, you know empathy is not sympathy, where sympathy right. really is a sign of weakness because you're, you're not uh, engaging someone to help themselves. We're in empathy. Uh, when, when we're empathetic, we're helping lead someone with, you know, deep understanding to, to a better place. Um, and then I think, you know, another sign of it or another factor is intellectual humility. Uh, mm. Do we have that openness of mindset and perspective uh, to understand, don't have to agree, but can we understand, mm. you know, someone else's opinion or perspective? Um, so in how leaders can really prioritize 
those factors, maybe uh, honing in those skills if, if that's not their strong suit right now. I think it starts uh, with personal self-awareness and self-reflection. Uh, leaders are the example, should be the example for the company, and they set the tone. Uh, they're the embodiment, you know, of, of the, the corporate uh, social behaviors, and that goes far beyond the stated values. Um, so if a leader starts with their own self-awareness and self-reflection on how they can improve, I think that's just the, the very first step. And then from there, I, um, it's what are they doing by way of actionable efforts to really engage um, to understand their their workforce. So yeah. if we look at being a learning organization, you know, do they promote <laughs> learning and development with maybe a mid-level manager group or uh, a junior level management group? Do they promote it within their divisions and on their teams? Um, because learning, you know, um, provides a way for us to become more emotionally intelligent. Um, and if we're not a learning organization, it means we're probably more fixed in our uh, mindset um, and more fixed in our processes. But I think additionally, you know, do we have employee resource groups? Are we allowing the employees to engage with each other to maybe uh, promote um, you know, their own personal hobbies, interests, or uh, or contribute to the community in meaningful ways um, that is fulfilling to the employees. And then uh, very simply, you know, looking at our talent acquisition processes or recruiting processes, which is really, you know, that um, the beginning of the life cycle for our people and HR activities. Um, right. Does our talent acquisition process system uh, and the training that we've given to the interviewers, those hiring committees, uh, really embody EQ? Actually, one of the things that it made me think about is that, and I think even sometimes I forget this, being a leader is a lot of work. And I think that that when people say, okay, you know, I'm ready for the next step. I want to be a manager. I want a team. It's almost, at least I can definitely imagine times in my career where I thought this to be true, where it's like, okay, you know, I, I'm good at what I do. I'm going to jump into this role and I'll be perfect. And you jump into the role and there's so much, not only like on your plate that you now, you know, are adapting to, and you have to figure out what that looks like to be a good leader, but it's also, it's a continuation of work. You have to constantly learn. So when you're talking about how learning and, and is really the is synonymous with developing a higher EQ and in summation, I mean, that is, that's exactly it is that when you sign up and sign on to be a leader and manager, um, whether in title or just in stepping up to the plate, because definitely there are leaders without the title. Um, which are sometimes the most amazing leaders uh, in training, basically, in my opinion. It's, it's in those, those moments where you're continuously learning and growing that you not only like, create the foundation of being a, a strong leader, but you continue in your efforts in becoming a stronger leader. Because you could be a strong leader today, but two years down the line, you haven't learned anything new, you haven't tried anything new, and maybe your leadership is not is a little bit uh, soft. And so when you, even when you talk about the talent acquisition side of this, it makes me think actually about DE&I, 
for example, um, and really employee engagement because you could recruit someone and, and put on this amazing performance that the, the business and the team is amazing. But then when push comes to shove, you're not really, you know, maybe you're trying to recruit top talent, but you're not actually actively learning and growing and developing your team. So I guess with all of that, I know that's a whole lot of uh, summarizing points. But when you think about employee engagement and you think about DE&I, how, how do those two things or how does EQ play a role in both of those things? And, and how do leaders take, you know, take these learning opportunities and create more safe spaces, for example? Fantastic question, and I love the the summary. Uh, it's it's brilliant what you said, and um, absolutely blends into you know what DE and I um, and employee engagement, what we're trying to achieve there. I think you know the correlation of an organization that is promoting DE and I and really uh, trying to achieve high employee engagement that organization would have a high corporate EQ. Um, mm. And and if we look at, you know, ranking a company by their EQ, you know, generally high or low, those organizations that are actively engaged in DE&I, um, mm. uh, it means that, you know, they understand that people are people. And we, we don't necessarily need to segment a non-diverse and a diverse workforce. It's just, hey, we are completely open and accepting of all perspectives. And we don't want to be a closed-minded, narrow-minded, um, and narrowly you know, represented group uh, that we need to bring in people that have different back backgrounds, different educations, right. different um perspectives on how we achieve um, kind of our goals uh, as an organization. And, um, and if we do that, um, that translates directly over to employee engagement. I, I really love to simpli simplify KPIs for employee engagement uh, down to three basic metrics. And it's how happy are the employees, how fulfilled are the employees, and how safe are the employees. And we can talk about Ooh, physical safety. That. But really, psychological safety. Um, and so, if we start with with that happiness factor, it goes exactly to what you were saying about as a leader, am I improving myself? But another another factor to high corporate EQ would be: is that company or is that executive team really cognizant of the need to provide tools to their management team or to their leadership team? What is the company doing to invest in training and developing their leaders? Um, and I think, you know, we see so often career tracks um, start in management because we were a fantastic employee and <laughs> we had, you know, fantastic kind of analytical uh, skills where we were thorough and detail oriented and we could, you know, work through a task list. But those skills, even though fantastic, don't translate well over to management, mm -hmm. where we have to have some sense of wanting to invest in other people um, to see them grow, right? And sometimes even grow beyond ourselves. And that I think that's a mark of leadership is when uh, you see leaders that have impacted people that can really rise. How are we investing in leadership? How are we pre-selecting our management team so that we take this fantastic employee that has overperformed, um, you know, 
consistently. And we understand if they truly can succeed as a manager in our company, what management at our company Mm. means. What opportunities are we offering to our employees by way of engagement to be fulfilled? Lastly, with the safety piece and psychological safety, we know that through research and data, um, employees uh, contribute better and are more highly connected when they feel a sense of belonging and a strong sense of belonging to a group or an organization. So psychological safety, uh, you know, is a precursor to that ability to feel like you belong. And mm-hmm. uh, it's really interesting in now kind of analyzing the talent market and diverse candidates that are trying to come into organizations where they haven't felt like they've belonged. And so they may have lower tenures uh, consistently uh, and they're being reviewed by a non-diverse team who expects um, to see metrics uh, consistent with their own, um, but they're not. And, and so that belonging factor really plays in and ties back around to, you know, the, the understanding around talent acquisition and, and how we can, I really um, stop eliminating diverse candidates or knocking out diverse candidates from our um, hiring protocols um, because they might not, you know, match a non-diverse group's uh, kind of work history. Right. Wow. I, my wheels are definitely turning in this because (laughs) there are some things that even I'm like learning or thinking about differently and hearing you speak about these things, for example, with the employee resource group, because, you know, that is, it's something that I I found really took the world by storm in 2021. We found out that LinkedIn, for example, is paying their heads of employee resource groups like $10,000 a year, I think, just for leading that effort. Um, I, I think I'm getting that correct. But, you know, when I think about that, and obviously I understand and know and appreciate the importance of employee resource groups, but I didn't, I don't know that I fully thought through the connection to belonging and how belonging and KPIs are so deeply connected. And I think about retail, for example, which is the industry that I'm most familiar with because of my career and my background. And there, there are people that I that I that come to mind about uh, when I think about how KPIs and belonging and employee resource groups and that whole bubble of feeling connected to what you're doing, feeling connected at at work can really impact your achievement. I'm starting to think differently in just hearing what you're sharing about, well, how as HR partners, especially, and there are a lot of listeners who are actively in HR leadership roles, and there are a lot who are trying to get into HR. And then there are some who are not in HR at all, but enjoy the podcast, which is great. Um, But I, I almost challenge everyone listening because I'm challenging myself with this. When we go into these annual review processes, which are happening now, um, and we think about, especially as we're holding people accountable or we're having those difficult conversations, thinking about like, is belonging part of the puzzle? Is belonging and psychological safety a topic to broach with that individual if they are struggling, especially if it's a new struggle, if they've maybe achieved consistently before and now they are, you know, maybe out of nowhere or unexplainably struggling with achievement. And I know even in my own experience, I'm sure you can relate to this too, when you're in a situation that you're not, you know, maybe you're in an environment that you're not happy in, your achievement 
definitely you can feel your achievement, your interest, your inspiration, all of that takes a back seat. And so I guess I'm challenging myself and the listeners when they when they have someone who's struggling or maybe is not achieving to think beyond the the uh, the lines that have been painted for us, and you know, it, rather than just saying, "Okay, well, are you interacting with enough people? Are you doing all the things that are in your job description?" Maybe the question is also, "Well, are you happy here? Are you enjoying what you're doing? Is there anything as your leader that I can do to make you feel more connected? Is that part of it?" A piece too that may change or may uh, cause, you know, may be the causation to that sense of belonging changing is uh, within organizations, you know, we, we kind of learn in a uh, business school that there's a maturity cycle, mm-hmm. there's a business life cycle, but the other layer to that is the employee's identity to the organization as it changes and evolves. And this is really helpful and useful information, I think, even for those listeners who aren't in leadership positions. You know, when I think about people who are really trying to demonstrate that they're ready for the next step, the mm-hmm. EQ to me is something that I always prioritize and look for. But actually, there's so much more to being an effective manager and a, a strong leader. And uh, that's something that I think in the last few years, I've definitely seen businesses shift a little bit. And I think that that's something that really needs to change. And I've heard um, someone, uh, Erin Deal, who I've actually done a podcast with, she refers to them as power skills, which I absolutely love. I'd love to hear from you specifically thinking about how there is sometimes this um, reference back to EQ as a soft skill, which inherently like devalues, I think, what it is and what it means for a business. What are some ways, thinking through that, that individuals can challenge this status quo so that EQ is uh, really seen as a key contributor to success for a business or an organization and for someone's ability to grow? Yeah, Tracy, I'm so glad that uh, you posed this question. And it is absolutely something that we need to be talking about. There are high correlations to a successful organization and having a high EQ, whether, you know, the leaders have that EQ or it's the, you know, um, the organization's kind of EQ um, ranking as well. And, um, you know, it's been really interesting because I think we, um, we tend to look at, you know, the finance um, function um, and industry as being so significant, right? And HR has really, in some ways, taken a back seat to that. And, you know, we had articles coming out in the early 2000s saying we needed to blow up HR. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, this is that missing piece. And we finally have the data and the research um, to, to um, truly recognize it. Um, and it absolutely, you know, is a, is a power skill and it's a force multiplier for people mm-hmm. and for organizations. I was just, you know, over the weekend, just reading um, pitch books, uh, annual summaries on the private equity industry and the VC uh, um, groups and the, the valuations and, mm-hmm. and the rise in valuations uh, over the course of the year are really phenomenal. Um, and I don't think we can um, avoid looking at, at what has happened within those industries and ESG, so environmental and social giving, and uh, the um, acquisitions and the creation and the investing into 
uh, companies that are providing online mental health benefits have uh, increased dramatically last year. And with both of those, we're seeing this in the market. You know, it's not something that we're just talking about. Um, it's something that's truly happening. Um, there is real action around it. And we're seeing the valuations for private equity and venture capitalism increase because of these things. Wow. Um, and I, I think one of, you know, the missing components that has maybe attributed to the, um, you know, designation as a soft skill is that we haven't had, this is changing too, but we haven't had um, technology that could really capture this kind of human connection, consciousness, mm. and uh, belonging. But we do have um, some pretty incredible AI technology that's coming to market now that through machine learning and natural language processing um, and uh a lot of work done, being done in decentralization of data um, is lending to the ability to actually capture this analytically. Um, and so we're going to see within HR many, many tools coming to the market um, that will provide us with the tools, a company or an HR team to show um, by numbers <laughs> and, um, and data that uh, that everything that we're talking about today is wildly important and can improve at the end of the day, you know, the strength of our management, the strength of our balance sheets and financials. Wow. I love that. I'm excited for the future of this. I think, you know, when we think about what makes a business interested almost in developing the EQ and the wellness and belonging, and you're so right that, you know, well-being and a focus on well-being has dramatically increased, which is a wonderful thing. And I, I certainly think that that contributes to belonging and a sense of belonging for employees as well. Um, but I, I think about how the qualitative elements of a business, which so often sit with HR, you know, how people feel, how they're connected, if they're, if they are, you know, passionate about what they're doing. And if in surveys, for example, they're saying that they work for a company that cares about them, the things that so often uh, in, in antiquated cultures, for example, the qualitative didn't play as significant of a role. And I've definitely on the podcast talked about um, how HR has grown over the years and how it used to be personnel. And it used to be just a department focused on making sure employees were paid, that they had benefits, and when there were issues or investigations that they were completed. But HR has taken this and morphed into this incredible network for making the qualitative quantitative and seeing mm -hmm. people processes and operations as a a direct impact on the top and bottom line for businesses. And I just hope that through the capture of data, as you're talking about, and, and through these incredible technological advances, I, I digress here. I'm looking forward to seeing how all of that continues to impact and allows the HR function, the people function, the qualitative uh, elements of the business to be something that is assigned a profitability and is assigned a quantitative understanding because that is that at least in my experience that's been the one challenge as an HR professional is is helping those uh, you know executive or leadership teams that really only want to talk about the quantitative helping them to see how the qualitative elements of a business the people behind the business actually impact the quantitative and that is 
something, you know, that I really through this podcast, I try to accomplish every single day. So thank you for bringing that up. I'm, I'm looking forward to the future and data and, uh, you know, everything that that means for all of us. Absolutely. And I love the way that you paraphrase that. Uh, you know, I could not agree more. And uh, it's something that I hope that, you know, I can achieve um, by the end of my career is really yeah. you know, creating matrices that take the qualitative uh, and show that high correlation um, to the quantitative. And um, I, there's so much work to be done there, um, you know, not just in, uh, you know, <laughs> articles and white papers that we can write about it. Um, but in, uh, you know, actual kind of industry benchmarking and, um, it's, it's something that I would love to achieve, uh, you know, as, as all of this continues to, uh, evolve and, and the technological advances, uh, provide for that. I just so appreciate you, you know, sharing your insights and your, expertise, you know, on this, on this topic. I mean, I think it's something that will be evergreen, you know, in, in five years, when we come back to this episode, I'm sure that if I listen back, there will be all of these nuggets of information that have, you know, will be almost like a time capsule that we'll be able to really reflect on and see how we hopefully predicted the future. <laughs> yes. Yes. I hope we do. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here, Christine. Where can people find you and where can they connect? Sure. Thanks so much, Tracy. It's uh, been just fantastic and such a lovely opportunity. Uh, and I would be delighted to connect with uh, anyone in the audience. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn, uh, simply Christine, that's spelled with a C-H. Uh, and then my last name is Zorik, it starts with a W, so it's W-Z-O-R-E-K. Uh, they can also visit our uh, my firm's website, whitelabeladvisors.com, and there's a contact contact page there where uh, they can connect with me as well. Amazing. Well, hopefully we'll come back to this one day and really have a lot more insight and, and businesses will continue to move in the direction that will enable more belonging and, and well-being for their employees. Thank you so much, Christine, for your time yeah. and we will connect soon, I'm sure. Likewise, Tracy. Thank you.